Well, it was at the end of the summer, the beginning of the school year, when we started going through this Gospel of John and we preached a sermon, Even the Demons Believe. Anybody remember all the way back to that? Anybody here? That was 25 sermons ago when we began the Gospel of John. And at that time, my family and I had just come back from this trip to Hawaii, we have some dear friends who have a timeshare and they invited us to come and stay at their timeshare for free. And you can't, it was an offer too good to refuse. And so we went with them to Hawaii and we had such a wonderful time. But they said while we were there that we were going to go on a short and easy hike is what they called it. A short and easy hike. Famous last words literally almost ended up on my tombstone. Uh, because it was, had been raining, it was muddy, I was not prepared to do much hiking on this trip. I don't know really that many times when I am prepared to do much hiking. And it, the rain, it was muddy, and I was holding our three-year-old. He was the one in the video that said, let's get them, that little boy. That's Jack. And I was holding him, and we slipped in the mud, and we both fell over. And I thought we were going to the hospital. We turned out to be okay. But I was like, what kind of a vacation is this? You know? The next day, they had us hike to these tide pools. And I have this image in my mind that I, sometimes comes to me, haunts me, I guess. It's my wife. And she's grabbing onto little Jack's hand. And Jack's kind of like slipping in the mud. And then there's a cliff 50 feet down and rocks at the base of this waterfall that we're hiking by. And I'm just like, man, if she doesn't have a good grip on his hand, this could be the end of my son. And my friend is like taking a picture of it and smiling. And I'm like, time out, buddy. How about you help my son not die right now? You know what I mean? What kind of a trip is this? But I think that image of uh, a parent, and I, if you're a parent, you know this with your young kids. When you hold their hand, and especially when your kids come up to you and they put their hand out and they grab your hand because they want to feel safe and they want you to hold them. See, there's that, that image there of security. That's the image we're going to study in John chapter 10. And it's not us holding our kid's hand. It's actually us being the kids and our Father holding us in His hand. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, holding us in His hand. Go to John chapter 10. We're going to go through the second half of this chapter today, picking up where we left off last Sunday. And if you were here last Sunday, Jesus, He was comparing Himself to the religious leaders and He said that He was the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. And even though some time has gone on, he's going to continue that sheep allegory here in our passage in the second half of John 10. This is page 896. If you got one of our Bibles, we're going to start today in John 10, 22. Uh, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. So please follow along with me as I read. It says, at that time, and so this was a little further on now, at that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. And it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And you just got to think, hey, where have you guys been for the first ten and a half chapters? And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. 
the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my, and here's where we left off last week, you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him. But he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. And so we see here more of the continued controversy between the Jews and Jesus. Now let's just go to something that we've learned back in that Even the Demons Believe sermon when we started the Gospel of John. That what John says he's doing in chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 is that he is writing certain signs that Jesus did. So we want to start here with three things that we see throughout the book. And I guess they're all right here for you. The signs and they lead to believing when you see the works. And Jesus says that here in our passage. Hey, you should believe based on the works the miracles, the signs, that you should point to who I am and you should believe. And then when you believe, and this is the part that's really exciting for us who do believe, you have eternal life. And so we've been seeing this theme not only throughout the book, but over and over, even in the last couple of chapters that we've been going through the last few weeks. There was a man born blind. And Jesus healed him and he gave the man sight. And based on anything that Jesus does, there's controversy. There's those who reject Jesus and there's those who believe in Jesus. And they ended up rejecting this man because they couldn't accept the miracle of Jesus because he did it on the Sabbath. And so they kicked the man out of the synagogue. And the man actually ended up believing in Jesus because Jesus sought the man out. He found him and the man had faith in Christ. And then Jesus began to compare the thieves and robbers of the religious leaders, don't follow them, and the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, Jesus referring to himself, and why you should follow him. And the life that he gives is an abundant kind of life. 
So even just in the last few weeks, if you've been here, from chapters 9 and 10, which are really telling all the same story, we see that there was a sign that caused people to believe or some to reject. There was great controversy. There was division. And then those who believed, they had eternal life. And we start to now, the later we get into the book, we get more of a description of what eternal life is. And for those of us who do believe in Jesus, this is the part that's most exciting for us to study. The part that's most fascinating because I want to know more about knowing God. I want to experience to the fullness this relationship that I have with God. And they can't handle Jesus saying that he and the Father are one. They can't handle that Jesus says that the Father's in him and he is is in the Father. They want to stone him. They want to arrest him. And Jesus, he's the master at evading. Uh, He was one of the best at running from the authorities. One of the best like escape guys of all time is Jesus. They can never capture him because it's not his, his time. And what he says here, if you zero in on verse 28, this is the the verse that I want to focus our attention on because we've seen some of this controversy before, but he says something about eternal life. And I want to start painting a fuller picture of what eternal life is. And he says here in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. This is what he gives to his sheep, to his people. I give them eternal life and then some, some, some characteristics of eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now when you study the Gospel of John and you look at this passage, what comes out from all of the scholars and all of the commentaries, like with one voice they rise up and say that this verse right here, John 10, 28, is the clearest verse in the Bible on the eternal security of the Christian. What this verse is saying right here is that you cannot lose your salvation. Let's get that down for point number one. Okay? Let's, if we're going to talk about what eternal life is, we have to make sure that everybody here understands eternal life is not just living forever. It's not just after you die, going to heaven to be with God for the age to come. Okay, that's a great part of it. That's definitely in, entailed in eternal life. It's a, it's a huge perk is that it goes on forever. But fundamentally, eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That the relationship that the Father and the Son have, where they are one and they are in each other, we are invited into that relationship with God. That's what eternal life is. And when God gives you eternal life, when he peels back the wallpaper of space and time, and he gives you a glimpse of the glory that is to come, but actually is something that you can experience in the here and now, a quality of life, an abundant life of knowing God now, when he gives you eternal life, from that moment on, it is impossible, double negative here, you will never perish. You cannot be saved and then go back to perishing apart from God. Anybody want to say amen right now? That's what it's saying. And you're going to hear people say, well, I don't believe that. I have this position and I have this position. Look, this is what John 10, 28 is saying. Okay? 
We need to be done arguing positions and we need to say what the Bible says. And the Bible says that anybody here who's been given eternal life, you cannot perish, that you are in the hand of Jesus and no one can snatch you out of his hand. In fact, he goes so far as to say that the Father gave you to Jesus. The Father saved your soul, gave you to Jesus, and that now the Father who is greater than all, He holds you as well and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. I and the Father, we are one. We are together in this. We are, we are both God and we are holding you right now. When you say that a true believer in Christ can fall away, can lose their salvation, you are arguing against the hand of the Father and the Son. That's what Jesus says right here. He's not leaving room for us to misinterpret this passage. He is going out of his way to make it clear that here's a key aspect to eternal life. Eternal life begins from the moment of your salvation when you enter into relationship with God. And from that moment of your salvation till the moment where you are with God in heaven, He is going to keep you. He is going to hold on to you. You will be held from the moment of your salvation till you meet with Jesus and there is no way you can fall away in between those two moments. That's what He's saying right here. No one can snatch you out of my hand. This is good news for everyone in this room who has put your faith in Jesus Christ. And this is something he's already alluded to earlier. Go back to chapter 6. Turn back a few pages to chapter 6 and look at how he put it here. He was talking about the bread of life after he had done the sign of feeding the 5,000 men there. A miracle, a miracle where he turned to just a few loaves and a couple of fish into food for at least 5,000 men. Probably thousands more women and children. And then he uses that sign to say, I'm the bread of life and to direct people to believe in him. And here's a part of his teaching in John 6, 37. He says, all that the Father gives me so that's what he said in our passage today. That the Father gives us to the Son. All that the Father gives me, they will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Okay? There, there it is again. You're, once you're in with Christ, he's never being done with you. He's never rejecting you. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, the will of the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Well, he already said that he, the Father is giving to the Son the souls of men, women that are being saved. And all that the Father gives to me, I shall lose nothing, Jesus says. But raise it up on the last day. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him. You get at that moment eternal life. And when you have eternal life. I will raise Him up on the last day. From the moment you profess faith in Christ. And you receive eternal life. Till the moment you are with Christ on the last day. When we leave space and time. And enter into the age to come completely. From that moment of salvation. To that moment of glorification. You will, if you have this moment. You will have this moment. That's what Jesus is saying here. I will raise him up. Not maybe. Not possibly. It's what's going to happen. I don't lose one of my sheep. That's what the good shepherd is saying here this morning. Okay? 
Now you might remember when we were in John 6, we talked about the drawing work of God. How God actually is the one who brings us to salvation in Christ. What we're talking about this morning is the keeping work of God. How once God saves us, He keeps us. You could write down 1 Peter 1.5 if you want to as a cross reference. He guards us, He keeps us all the way until we are with Him in heaven. Okay, so this is a doctrine that is sometimes referred to as the eternal security of the believer. Just a great way to say it, straight up, is you cannot lose your salvation. Now go to another passage. Go to Romans chapter 8. Please, turn in your Bible. You've got to see these precious verses to Romans chapter 8. One of the most encouraging passages in all of the scripture here. And it's designed to make this same point. Now it doesn't talk about Jesus holding us in his hand and the Father holding us and no one able to snatch them out, but it says the same doctrine. And look at it with me in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. That's where we want to start. Page 944 if you got one of our Bibles. And it puts it like this. What then shall we say to these things? Talking about our salvation and how we've been adopted and he's now our father and we're now his sons and daughters. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who, notice the questions here are looking for a who. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with giving us Jesus, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who? We're looking for this this person out there. We're trying to identify this enemy who's going to come and condemn. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who is going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Let's start making some suspects of who this who could be that's going to somehow snatch us out of the hand of Christ. Shall tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? Could all of the harsh realities that we're going to face in this life, can they separate us from the love of Christ? Because it is hard, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep, yeah, to be slaughtered here in this world. Is that going to separate us from Christ? No. Verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is sure that there is nothing that can separate him from the love that he has in God through Christ. Are you sure of it here this morning? Do you know that there is no possible way anything can separate you from being held by Jesus from this moment until the moment you are with Jesus? Do you have that confidence? Are you convinced? Paul's convinced. And Paul isn't just throwing out theory here. A lot of these things, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, Paul has personally experienced a lot of this. 
Even the satanic attack, even the demons following him around, taunting him, calling out who he is. Even in 2 Timothy, he talks about the tempter coming and, and, and coming after him, Satan himself. And Paul, he was confident that there were, the who was no one. There was no one who was more powerful than the God who held him in his hand. Bring on anybody to challenge God to an arm wrestling competition and the Lord will win every time. That's what Paul's saying right here. There's no enemy. Oh, there's enemies out there, but no enemy that can actually take you away from the salvation you have in God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love in Christ Jesus. This is a heap of encouragement here this morning. That's what it is. It says something that amazes me every time I, I look at this passage. Look at verse 37. I don't really fully understand this. Okay? It says, in all these things, talking about all these different things that might be enemies to our faith. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him, Jesus, who loved us. I, I do not know what that means. Do you know what that means? More than conquerors. I mean, I've barely even met conquerors, right? When you're a conqueror, you haven't just squeaked it out. You know what I mean? You didn't come from behind. You weren't the underdog. When you conquered, you destroyed your opponent, okay? I mean, you've defeated them so soundly, you know, there is no doubt about who the victor was, who had the triumph. I mean, these are the kind of words we think of when we get to conqueror. I mean, someone who has just won an amazing victory. So what does it mean to be more than conquerors? I mean, that is a booyah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, boo to the Yahweh is what we're talking about. Like, we have smote our enemy on the mountainside and he never got up again. That's what we're talking about here. We are more than conquerors, okay? There are people, apparently, from Jesus is saying no one can do it. And the way that Paul's writing it here with the who. There are enemies who would love to snatch your soul. And they would love for you to perish apart from God in hell. And all of these enemies, they cannot do it. They have been defeated. The power of God that is greater than all is more than sufficient to conquer any enemy against you. How does this feel? Write this on your mirror when you wake up in the morning. If God is for me, who can be against me? Now we're talking. You know what this is right here? This is, it comes back to it a lot here at Compass HP. This is trash talk, my friends. That's what this is. Like, who's out there? Who's going to come mess with my God? Who's going to come take me out of his hand? Identify yourself, oh foe, and let me laugh you out of here. I mean, that's what it's saying. Okay? And I'm, what I'm really concerned about, because I hang out with Christians working at the church here. I hang out with professing believers in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus says is that we have eternal life and we will never perish. Double negative. It's impossible for us to perish. And he's holding us in his hand. And I hear a lot about enemies from Christian people. Oh, how evil the world's getting these days. Oh, you know, Satan, he's out there and he's trying to get us. Oh, you know, my own flesh, it's just always rising up and it's always taking control. And I wonder if we're not giving God the glory he deserves and we're giving our enemies too much credit. What do we want to do? Talk up our enemies or talk up the Lord who's more than conquered them through his love? Maybe we're not thinking right about this. 
Maybe our enemies aren't as mighty as they might seem to us. And maybe God is stronger than we've previously been led to believe. So let's think through these soul snatchers and let's stop being afraid of them. Let's get that down for point number two. Let's identify the who. Who's going to try to snatch us out of the hand of Jesus? Who are these soul snatchers that are going to come after us? The enemies of our faith in Christ. And clearly in our context of John 10 that we're looking at this morning, right? He's already identified the thieves and the robbers. He's arguing clearly against the Jews and especially the religious leaders of the Jews at that time. So one person that is clearly going to try to mislead a lot of souls and lead them to perish apart from God in hell is false teachers. We got three enemies that we're going to identify. Let's start with false teachers. That should be our first dash here. Okay? And this is really just the lies of the world that sometimes show up in religions. These days, it doesn't even have to be like an organized religion. There's people believing all kinds of things and we don't, we don't like organized religion. So it might not even be one of the cults like Jehovah's Witnesses or, or Mormons or something like that. It might just be this feel-good philosophy that nothing's going to happen after you die and life's going to work out and, and, and something like that. But it's this idea that your soul is safe or you're somehow going to get to heaven or whatever you believe is going to happen after you die, it's all going to work out and there's lies that are leading you to think you're fine when your soul is actually in jeopardy all the time. The world's giving you the impression you're on a short and easy hike when you're about to fall and perish at any moment. And the rains are coming harder and the path is getting more muddy every day. And they're telling you, peace, peace. But there is no peace between you and God. That's false teaching. Okay? And that's just taking over so many people's minds. I mean, it even says in the Bible, if you want to get into really the side that we can't see of it, it says that a lot of the false teaching that happens, a lot of the rules that people say, if you do these things, you'll end up in in heaven. A lot of that, it says, is doctrines of demons, actually. I mean, there are evil forces behind the world system, purposefully deceiving, purposefully blinding the souls of men so that they will be led astray. And here's good news. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can never be deceived by false teaching again. Is that good news for anybody here today? Like you will never deny that Jesus is God and your worship of Him. Once you believe in Jesus, you will always believe in Jesus. Okay? The Jehovah's Witnesses aren't going to show up at your door and lead you to believe something different. Praise the Lord for that. Right? And some of us, we were out trying to spread the good news. We're getting excited. Easter's coming. It's two weeks out. It's prime time. It's time to get the CEOs here in the building. You know who the CEOs, right? The Christmas and Easter onlys. It's time to get them back in the house. That's what we're doing. And we're out there. And we're just friendly, smiling, knocking on people's door. Knock on this one door. And a voice just comes. The door doesn't open. It comes through a window. It's like the man behind the curtain. And he says, are you Jehovah's Witnesses? Now, personally, no offense to the Jehovah's Witnesses. They seem like friendly people. But I take that as an insult. right? Because I don't want to be a false teacher. I don't want to. No, sir, we are not Jehovah's Witnesses. All right, well then have a good day. I mean, like what? Then he didn't even want to talk to us. 
Like he expects, if somebody's knocking on his door, he expects it to be somebody with a false message. Not us bringing the good news. Somebody bringing the fake good news. Do you know what Jehovah's Witnesses believe? They believe that Jesus is a God, not the God. Does everybody understand this? They believe that Jesus, when it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, meaning that he is the one that is over all creation, the one who inherits all creation from the Father, they take that to mean that God created Jesus. And they put Jesus with the other angels in the category of a created being. Does that offend anybody here? That doesn't sound like I and the Father are one, see. And man, so that's what the world out there, they think that maybe that's the message they're going to hear. In fact, go with me to 1 John chapter 2 and let's share some good news here that you, once you have been held by Jesus, once he has given you eternal life, you will no longer be believing the lies and the deceptions that would make you believe something false about Jesus. In fact, we, we're knocking on this one lady's door and she answered her door and she had one of those screen doors that's like a bulletproof barrier from the rest of the world. Have you seen these? Like there's no screen about it. It's like metal with a few holes in it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you can't even see through it. Like this sweet lady, she said she's an 82-year-old lady, and eventually she didn't want to keep talking. We talked for a long time, but her legs were getting tired, so we had to, we had to call it quits. And there's this sweet voice coming through the door, and I have no idea where it's coming from. You know what I mean? So I'm just like smiling in like five different directions, <laughs> trying to make fake eye contact with this, with this lady. And here's what this lady's saying. Here's what people right down the street in Huntington Beach are saying when you care enough to go and talk to them. Here's what they're saying. Man, I had some the sweetest neighbors I ever had. Some of the people that loved me more than anybody else. You know who they were? They were my Jehovah's Witness neighbors for 50 years. And man, really nobody really loved me. They were my dear friends. Nobody really loved me like those Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was like, well, did you become a Jehovah's Witness? And she's like, no, I couldn't believe it. Some of it sounded too much like a fairy tale to me. And she wanted to make that very clear. Even though she loved these people and she was highly influenced by them, she would not believe. She knew it was wrong. And so I asked her, then what do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? That he is God? Do you believe in a heaven and a hell? What do you believe happens after you die? And this sweet 82-year-old woman says to me, well, I try not to think about death. I try not to think about death. See, the Jehovah's Witnesses are out there spreading false teaching and even people who aren't believing the false teaching, if they don't hear the truth about Jesus Christ, then how will they be saved? And we were able to tell her the gospel, the true gospel. We gave her a gospel of John. And if she would believe that gospel, she would never be deceived again. Look at 1 John 2. Look at what it says here in 26. Remember, the whole point of John, 1 John, he wrote the gospel of John so we would believe. And then he wrote 1 John so we could know we have eternal life. That all the believers could be assured of their salvation. That's our, comp, that's our topic here this morning. And he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Ah, the snatchers. The false teacher snatchers who want to deceive you and make you stop believing in Jesus. But the anointing, this anointing from God that you have received from him, it abides in you. It remains in you. 
and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Like here's a beautiful truth. That once you are given eternal life by God, there is an anointing upon you. So that you now know the truth and will not be deceived by these teachers who are spreading lies. In fact, go back to verse 20 and look at who it says this anointing specifically is. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. Is that good news to anybody there? At the moment that you get saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit who comes to you as a guarantee. Okay? And once you are sealed in the Spirit, He teaches you all the things of God. He teaches you who Jesus is, and He is the helper who comes alongside of you. And the reason we call, you, call Him the Holy Spirit is because He leads you to walk in holiness. When the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, He will never allow you to be deceived by false teaching again. He will teach you the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And you could write down Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, where it talks about His sealing work. The sealing work of the Spirit on your soul is better than a money-back guarantee, my friends. Because it didn't cost you any money to get the Spirit. It was given to you when you got eternal life. And, it, and money didn't even purchase your salvation. No, there is only one thing that purchased your soul and it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ can never be undone. Does everybody believe that here? If you have been born again here this morning, you can never be unborn again. It's like the opposite of those stupid commercials about Las Vegas. You guys know those commercials that I'm talking about? What happens here, what? We've all heard it. No, what happens here when Jesus gives you eternal life cannot possibly stay here. It echoes for all of eternity after space and time. And the Holy Spirit is put upon you as a guarantee. So these people saying, you got to do this to be saved, or you got to believe this, or don't believe anything, go this way. No, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are now not able to be deceived by the lies of demons in this world. And that's good news. The false teachers are snatching many souls, but they cannot snatch yours because Jesus holds you and he's put his anointing upon you, his spirit in you, who teaches you the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, who's the ultimate leader of this system of evil that is coming against us? Satan. Let's get him down for the second dash. He's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for souls to devour. Does Satan have the power and I hear people talking about, oh, the power of the enemy is upon me. Oh, Satan's getting me to do this. Does Satan have the power to snatch your soul out of the hand of Jesus and the Father? Go to Hebrews chapter 2. And let's answer that question of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, page 1002, if you got one of our Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. And it says it like this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, partook of the same things. Talking about Jesus, who was in an eternal relationship with the Father in heaven, humbled himself, and, and he put on flesh, and he became a man like us. And why did he do this? That through death, 
he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How do you defeat the power of death? The Bible is very clear that the wages of our sin is death. The consequences of us falling short of the standard of God means that we must die, not only physically, but that our souls will be judged and we will perish. We will be judged apart from God for all of eternity. That is the consequence of sin. Death is the curse that is upon us. And how do you defeat death? And the one who has the power of death, the one who wants to see us die in our sins and go to hell, Satan, how do you defeat them? Well, one righteous death. That's how you defeat them. One righteous death once for all. God becomes man and he dies in our place. And when he died on that cross, he destroyed, he more than conquered Satan. That's what it says right here. So that you do not have to fear death. Because you are no longer in the domain of darkness. Satan no longer has authority over your soul. Knowing when you die, you will not be judged. You will not be destroyed. You will not face the fate of where Satan is going to spend his eternity. No, you now, when you die, you will be glorified and be made like Christ and enjoy him forever. I mean, this is what we're talking about. Well, how do you feel about dying? Maybe it's not on your calendar for this afternoon. I understand that. But if the idea of dying, does it cause you to fear? And are you still a slave to the fear of death? Or could you honestly say in your heart right now this morning that I do not fear death? Bring it on, that enemy of the soul, because I don't even believe that death and all the power of Satan, I don't believe that even the gates of Hades themselves can snatch me out of the hand of Jesus and the hand of the Father. He's destroyed. He's more than conquered. I've heard the uh, illustration many times uh, of, uh, it's a great illustration of the family that's on a road trip in their minivan and a bee gets in and it's buzzing all around there in the minivan and the kids are freaking out. Nobody wants to get stung by the bee and dad, he's keeping it cool in the front seat and he reaches up and he grabs the bee. And he lets it out of his hand and it starts flying around and there in the middle of dad's hand is the what? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, death is not something I'm afraid of. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it, if we can be honest. It's going to be a sweet release from the evil system of this world. And I'll finally get to see the one who I know now long distance, who I see by faith. I will get to behold his glory with my eyes. I will get to worship him in his presence. Yes, you could say, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not afraid of it. Do you know that? See, the world doesn't believe that. They don't even think that's possible. How could someone know for sure what's going to happen after they die? And some of us say, well, I know that. I have that right now. Yeah, I can remember a time when I was afraid of death. I was a, can remember a time when I was really afraid even of going to hell after I die. But the perfect love of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know what Jesus did with his hands? He took the nails. That's what he took. And he shed his blood for you and he defeated, he destroyed 
The one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Hey, are we acting like Satan's still winning? Or are we acting like Jesus has more than conquered? And some of you guys are thinking, well, you know, the truth is false teaching is not really what I'm concerned about. And even Satan, I've read the verses, I know how it works. Yeah, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. But when I resist him, when I'm firm in my faith, when I trust that Jesus is holding me in his hand, can Satan do anything to you as a believer? What do you think? Can he do anything to you? No, when you stand firm in the faith, what does it actually say that Satan does? He flees from you. So maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not really that concerned about the false teachers, or I'm not really that concerned about Satan. I see how the Bible says that Jesus has defeated them for us. Maybe the person that you're concerned about falling away is you. Maybe the person that you're not so maybe concerned about being snatched out of Jesus' hand, but maybe you might just fall out of his hand. And there's a lot of confusion about this, okay? There's a lot of confusion because what we're talking about here, the doctrine that we're talking about is from God's perspective, what God does when he gives us eternal life and he holds on to us, it's called eternal security. Another way that we talk about it is we talk about it, the perseverance of the saints. Jesus says it like this, those who endure to the end will be saved. Jesus says, yeah, you, from the moment you get eternal life, the moment you, that you believe and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, yeah, you're saved. But one way we're going to know that you're saved, one way we know that you, once you're saved, you're always saved, is you keep living like you're saved. You persevere. And sometimes when we see the task ahead of us of persevering and enduring all the way for the rest of our life, it can feel to us like a very daunting task. Like, how am I going to do that. Go to the book of Jude with me, towards the end of the Bible. Right before Revelation here. Written by a brother of Jesus. Just one chapter. And the book of Jude, it, it deals a lot with this idea of false teachers and even demonic influence and people falling away. People twisting Christianity into something where they can keep on sinning and claim that they love Jesus Christ. And Jude talks a lot about this and he ends with a call to persevere. And look what he says in verse 21. Verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now that's the kind of verse I'm talking about that sometimes freaks Christians out. Well, how am I going to keep myself? So the third soul snatcher that some of us get afraid of is yourself. I mean, some of us have come to realize through the grace of God, through the Spirit convicting us of our sin, as we realize the truth of God's Word, that we are our own biggest enemy. That we are the one causing the biggest problems for ourselves. It's our own desire, our own sin, our own, our own fleshly nature. And we realize that. And so then when it says, keep yourselves in the love of God, it's like, well, I don't, that seems pretty daunting. Well, you're supposed to also look at verse 24. The climactic ending. The powerful conclusion. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Oh, he can keep you from falling away and he can take you all the way until you're there in his presence, beholding his glory with great joy. To this only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Eternal glory to God. Amen. Because he can keep you. So yeah, how can you keep yourself in the love of God? It's your faith in knowing that God is the one who keeps you. That's what you're hoping in. 
You're encouraged by messages like this one and you know that Jesus holds you in his hand and then you realize that the being held in the hand of Jesus is more powerful than your fleshly nature and how you feel at any given moment. Too many Christians waking up on Tuesday morning thinking, I can't do this today. I can't live for Jesus today. I can't get in the Word and pray and obey and have joy and all these things today. I don't feel like it. Well, let me ask you this. Who's more powerful, your feelings or the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? And maybe we're giving our feelings way too much credit. Maybe we think our flesh is a lot more powerful than it really is. He is able to keep you from stumbling. Do you believe that? Do you preach this to yourself on those Tuesday mornings when you wake up and you're not feeling like your carpe diem moment has come, right? You're not feeling seize the day, you're feeling like survive the day. You know what I'm saying? And you're almost feeling tempted to sin and the enemies, man, they seem pretty powerful on that day. The world seems like a pretty evil place and you feel like you're being tempted by forces out of your control and the problem is the sin is actually within you and you want to sin and it seems pretty powerful. Well, what are you going to believe? Your own feelings, your own circumstances, or the words of Jesus Christ that no one, including yourself, is able to snatch you out of my hand. What do you believe? Is God able to keep you on Tuesday morning all the way till you stand in his presence, beholding his glory, full of exceeding joy? Do you believe that, that God is able to keep you until then? We need to preach ourselves this message. We need to encourage one another with this word. We need to have a bold confidence, such an assurance that we stop giving our enemies too much credit and we start living like I right now am being held by the mighty power of God. Because that's what the hand is really just an anthropomorphism. Do you know what I just said there? Have you heard that word before? This, do we understand that God does not actually have a hand that is holding us? Are we all tracking with that? Let's, let's break this, this word down syllabically here. This is anthropomorphism, okay? This is a term we like to use when we're discussing theology. And what it is, is we attribute human characteristics to God. And it can go beyond theology when you ask, act like an animal or some inanimate object has like human features that it doesn't really have. Like your car is hearing you. See, that would be an anthropomorphism, right? And the Bible does this all of the time. God has eyes and God has a hand and God has all these human characteristics. But we understand that God is right now on his throne in heaven above. And does God have a body on his throne right now? No, he does not. He is a spirit being. He dwells in unapproachable light. There is no physical form there. So this whole hand is just an anthropomorphism. It's just a, a way that we're describing the power of God coming and getting you and keeping you and never letting you go. And we use the analogy, because we all relate to it, of our hand. When we want something and we want to hold on to it and it's precious to us, we reach out and we grab it. Now notice I'm reaching out with my right hand because I am right-handed. That's my strong hand, right? 
right? You're messing with me. I'm coming after you with the right hand. You know what I'm saying? Now, a lot of us are right-handed. A few of us are left-handed. When it says that Jesus is at the right hand, does that mean that on the throne, there's a, a right hand that Jesus is right next to? Is there actually a hand of God there? No, there's not. I don't know if you've thought this all the way through. Jesus is at the right hand is the symbol of the place of power. That's really what we're talking about. When Jesus, he might be in the right hand position to the Father, but he's in the place of power is where he is. That's the whole idea of the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of God. Like, if you act like the enemies can somehow take you away from God or do something to you, what you are doing is you are downplaying the power of God, is what you're doing. And you might be defaming him and not giving him the glory that he deserves. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Once you start looking for the hand idea of God, you will see it throughout the scripture. And, and it starts in the Old Testament. And it starts with God's work of salvation, his work of deliverance that he did in the Old Testament, which is to deliver the nation of Israel. You know, in the Old Testament, it, it, it talks about Israel a lot, and the ultimate example in the Old Testament of deliverance, of redemption, is when God brought the Israelites out of, where did he bring them out of, where they were slaves, he brought them out of Egypt, and then he led them to the promised land and, and, and there was some time in the wilderness there where God continued to watch over his people to keep his people before they entered the promised land. That's all a big story of salvation. And it says here in Deuteronomy 4 verse 34 page 149 if you got one of our, our books here it paints a picture of God delivering his people out of Egypt like this. It says, or has any God, and remember in the Old Testament, when nations were warring against nations, it was this nation's gods versus this nation's gods. And Israel was the, was the rare nation, and the, maybe the only one that said, there's one God, Yahweh. And Deuteronomy 4.34 now takes that and it says, has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? Can you remember any of that in all the history of the world? By trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war. By a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror. All of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Have you ever heard of anything like this in the history of the world? Moses is writing to the people of Israel. Where a God comes in and he says, I'm just going to take my nation from the slavery, from the oppression of this other nation, and I'm just going to reach in to where these people are slaves, and I'm going to grab them out and make them my own. Have you ever heard of anything like that? There's only one God who did that. Now, when we read Exodus, there's no big hand that swoops in and takes Israel out. No, it's God sending Moses. It's God doing the ten plagues. It's, it's God getting his people out of there by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. God's doing all of these amazing works, but the, the anthropomorphism is, wow, look at how powerful God is just to reach in there and to pull people. And now he's got them. Now these are his people. And if he's that strong that he can pull them out of their slavery, if he can just throw the enemies aside and grab them and save them, well then he's going to hang on to them. Look at you are held in the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of God himself. 
Go to Isaiah 41 and you'll see here God saying this about himself. Remember in Isaiah in the 40s, we've turned to these chapters many times, it's God boasting about himself, which is okay for him to do because he's God, right? And the one we're supposed to be trash talking for is the glory of God. As we announce to those around us, to anyone who will listen, that there was no one as great as our God. He is greater than all. In fact, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Than all of our enemies put together, greater is our God. And here's God now saying it personally straight to his people. Here's what God wants to know. God, you know, when you grab your kid's hand, and your kid won't take your hand and they act like they're still afraid. That's very insulting to a dad. If that, I don't know how I know that. But if that ever has happened to you as a father. And you're like, kid, grab my hand. You'll be safe with me. And they're still scared. That doesn't exactly make you feel good as a father figure. I wonder how many of us, when God is saying, I hold you. We are still being afraid when the father has said, I've got you. What are we saying to him? Here's what he wants us to know in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Here's God speaking to you if you're one of his people. If you're a Christian here this morning. He wants you to know that all the other fears are not worth fearing. He says, fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Not might. Not could, not possibly, I will help you. No maybe about it. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's a promise from God to you that he will keep you in his power. That's what he's saying. He's owning it. And so all these things that we might be tempted to be afraid of, we should no longer fear. Now let me just make an asterisk on this sermon real quick. Because I'm speaking to people, a very specific group of people, where the wallpaper of space and time has been peeled away, and we've gotten a glimpse into what's the other side, knowing God and all of His glory. People who have eternal life is who this sermon is for. I'm trying to tell the people who have eternal life that God is going to keep you to the end of your life, and there is nothing in this life that you should fear. I'm not talking to people who haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ here this morning. If you haven't turned from your sin and you haven't trusted in Christ, please don't hear me say that you should not be afraid. You should be terrified in your seat right now. Because those enemies are going to wreak havoc and they have your soul right now. Satan's got you right where he wants you. And maybe you're even sitting here and you're thinking, no, I'm good. Well, then you've bought into the lie of false teaching. And that idea that you're good, see, that's the opposite of Christianity, where your greatest enemy is yourself. No, there's people in this room right now who should be terrified of what is about to happen. Because you are just dangling on a muddy path 50 feet above destruction. You're like that spider that Jonathan Edwards was talking about in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. A spider that someone might let go of at any moment and drop it into the fire so it will burn. That's what the Bible says about people who are not held by Christ. If he hasn't reached out, if he hasn't grabbed you, if he doesn't have a hold of your life, if he hasn't saved you, then those enemies own you. And you're still a slave to them. You're still in Egypt is what it's saying. 
So you should be terrified. In fact, those of us who are, who are saved, we have to now say, fear not, because at some point we were terrified. I know that's how it was for me. I was terrified of going to hell because I knew I belonged there. That's why. Because I knew I was a sinner. And I knew the course of the world and I was wondering if I was going to be able to change my sinful ways. And I knew if God didn't save me, I would perish. I knew John 3.16. That God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him will not... Oh, we love that verse. One of our favorites. We like to quote it. It's a threat to every single person who doesn't believe in Jesus here in this room. You are perishing right now. Just like you have eternal life right now where you already know God even though we haven't entered the age to come. We know God now. You are perishing. You don't know God. You're falling apart from Him. Now is what the scripture says. I mean you should be freaked out of your living mind if you're sitting here this morning and you know you haven't believed in Jesus. There is no comfort outside of Jesus Christ. But that fear is actually a good thing because what you end up fearing more than anything else is you fear the judgment of God himself. And the fear of God actually draws you to God and it reveals to you the love of God and all of that fear makes you cry out for Jesus to save your soul. And once you cry out for Jesus to save you, he gives you eternal life and now you can tell those fears to take a hike because you are not afraid of anything anymore. Fear's job is done. The fear of God brings us to God and now perfect love casts out any fear of judgment, any fear of the enemies winning, any fear of Satan, of myself, of this world. I am not afraid of them anymore. Why? Because he's with me and he holds me by his hand and no one has a stronger grip than God. If you're held by God, you are the safest place you could possibly be. And that's what he wants you to know. In fact, look what he does. He starts taunting here. He says, verse 11, Behold, all who are incensed against you, ah, remember the world against you. Remember the demons against you. Remember your own flesh. Well, all who are incensed against you, they shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you, they shall be as nothing and shall perish. In fact, you will seek those who contend with you, but you will not find them. Those who war against you, they shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Can you imagine that, my friend? Can you imagine a day? When you look for the enemies of this world and you can't find them. When you look for Satan and his evil influence and you can't see it. When you look for the evil that used to rise up within you and now you have no inclination to sin within you. Can you imagine a perfect environment where there is no enemy to the glory of God? You will be there someday if you're one of God's people. You will know that day and there is nothing that can stop you from experiencing that day and all of its joy and all of its glory. If God has you right now, you are going to be there with him. And we will look for the enemies. We will look at each other and we will say, remember your flesh? Remember that guy Satan? Remember how bad America got back in 2016? No, not really, not too much anymore because I don't see those enemies anymore. Because they've been more than conquered. They've been defeated. That's eternity. And when I have eternal life, I have a sense of that right now. That I am held in the grip of God. And nothing can snatch me 
out of His hand. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for this encouraging Word here this morning. God, we thank You for Jesus describing eternal life, teaching us about what it's like to know You, to have this relationship with You. And God, I pray that we would believe what Your Word says. We would believe Jesus Christ. We would take Him at His precious promise here this morning that if He has given us eternal life, it is impossible for us to perish apart from Him and He will hold us. In fact, the Father who gave us to Jesus will also hold us and no one can snatch us out of their hand. God, give us that assurance here this morning. Give us that confidence. Let us leave here with such a boldness, with such an invincibility to know that because of the love of Christ, because of the relationship that we have with you, that there is no one who can stand against us, not even ourselves. That your son Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, when he took those nails through his hands, when he rose again and he could show us the scars, That he defeated once and for all death. And the one who has the power of death, Satan. And he gives us his Holy Spirit who teaches us the truth about Jesus so we can never be deceived. And he raises us up to new life so that we can say here this morning, death, where is your sting? Because of the victory. Thanks be to God for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. God, let us live like that and stop giving our enemies so much credit. Let us give you the glory that you deserve as the God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And God, I just pray if there's someone here who hasn't believed in you, who hasn't put their faith in Jesus Christ, why would they pass up today? Why would they leave here this morning Without the guarantee of not only knowing where they're going to go after they die, but the guarantee of knowing you from this moment for all of eternity. Why would they leave a God so good, so powerful, the only one who can keep us safe? God, why would they go anywhere else? I pray that you will even give souls to your son Jesus here this morning. That people will put their faith in Jesus and you will keep them all the way until we stand in your presence with exceeding joy and give you all the glory and we say that all the power truly does belong to God on the throne and Jesus at his right hand because no one could snatch me out of his grip. God, we give you the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Point number three. I know, I know. My bad. Uh, No God's got your soul in his hands. If you want to write that down. We talk about how he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, he's got your soul in his hands. And we really want you to know that. We want you to have assurance of your salvation. If you have any doubts, if you have any questions, we would love to talk to you right now. We want you to leave here confident and sure. You could go to the Compass Connect table in the back. I see Min and John back there. I'll be here up front. You can talk to any usher. We would love to talk to you. And what an exciting time to be sure of the life that we have in Jesus Christ with Good Friday and Easter just two weeks away, everybody. What a great celebration it's going to be over the next two and a half weeks. We've got seven times that we're gathering together. We'd love to have you come and join us. We've got donuts and coffee over here right now. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for being here. Sunshine